the west of the United States. A land that has opened my eyes. A land that has fought and earned the adjective beautiful. The winters are harsh and brutal. True. Very true. And a hot, sultry summer can make you want to pack up and leave town before the day is over. There's cities and towns spread across the land that it's possible to live on here. But it came at a cost. A lot of people over the years have been swallowed by the worst of what's out here. The Darwinism, stupidity, misfortune. Call it what you want. But they belong to the West now. Echoes of those who used to be cry out, screaming for acknowledgement. If you drive down a road long enough, all that you're going to find is red rock and your imagination playing tricks on you. Images of another person, a phantom of yesterday. Barely visible on the corner of your eye, wondering what brought you here to their tomb. Towns that once existed tell you a story by their brick skeleton foundation. Petroglyphs left behind by the ancients of the land remind you that there's more out here than human error and bad luck. Lights in the sky, even one of their own, changing shape after shape. People who vanish, never to be seen again. They tell us stories of the things that they saw. Things that we are no exception to. Things that maybe the ones before us refuse to accept or understand. People trying to find a place among the skeletons and cacti have no need for myth and legends of the ones that they deem irrational. But once you see it, it can't be unseen. Once you taste it, it leaves an imprint like a desperate beverage on your sandpaper tongue. You don't have to believe or pay attention to anything that has been claimed by the sands out here. It doesn't matter. And that's the beauty of it. It always pays attention to you. Ladies and gentlemen, my fellow listeners, today's topic, as you can tell from the title, is the West. The Old West, the Haunted West, the Creepy West, the Weird West, whatever you want to call it. This is a topic that means a lot to me. If you don't mind, I would like to get a little personal with you. Most of my life, I lived on the East Coast. And it's much different than where I'm living now. Now, I live out here, in the deserts. Looking at the things around me. Paying attention to everything that that lives and breathes out here. I've only been living out here for a few years. And in those few years, I've experienced and learned a lot. The land itself is rich and beautiful. And I mean that. It's the perfect place to get lost. To find yourself. To experience life.
Recently, I went to my local public library. And I walked in and I... The woman was really helpful. Just salt of the earth. Great person. And I approached her and I asked her, Hey, how are you? And She got me a library card. She helped me get one. I never owned one before. I was my first one. And I guess as she was helping me, I looked at her and I said, um, Listen, do you... Do you have any, um, any books about the occult, the weird, the unusual, things of that nature? And she pulled aside another one of the employees there and asked that employee if they can help me. And the employee agreed. After I was helped with my library card, I was brought over by the other employee. And she showed me the books. She showed me this entire section. I think I picked out five books, six books. Brought them to a corner on a table. And I started reading a lot. I think I was there for about an hour. Hour and a half, maybe. I mean, and time flew by. Snap of a finger. It was fast. But there was a book that stood out to me. It's a book by Matthew P. Mayo. It's called The Haunted Old West. For legal reasons, obviously, I can't read the book on the podcast. And I don't even want to test fate and read a little bit of it. I started reading uh, the contents inside, and it was a, it's about ghosts, hauntings that are happening in the West, and it's making me think, man, how cool would it be for a topic about the West? Obviously, you can't condense the entire West into an hour-long episode, hour and a half long. So instead, I guess what I want to do to narrow it down is, and I guess it fits the nature of the podcast, but I want to talk about the unusual things here. Things that have opened my eyes. <laughs> Living here for the past few years, it's uh, it's been interesting. And I used to live in Japan. I used to live in Japan for a spell. And Japan itself has its own quirks to it and, and unusual things about it. But it's not like the West. The West, at least for somebody like me, it's its own experience. As I've said before in the past shows... I'm living in Utah right now. And I'm not... I'm not sure what brought me out here. I'm not sure what got me to stay. But I'm here. And I haven't left. And it's probably been one of the best choices I've ever made in my life. And I guess with being here, I... You talk to the locals. You get swept up in weird conversation. Maybe about two months ago, I went to a 7-Eleven and... One of the employees behind the counter, she looked um, Native American. And I started talking to her. When I asked her, I said, hey, you know, I'm not trying to be rude or anything, but what's your heritage? And she goes, oh, I'm Laos. I'm half Laos and I think Thai, I believe she said, or Filipino. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm, I thought you were Native she goes, no, but my boyfriend is. And we chuckled about it. And she asked me why I was wondering. And I said, well, because I'm half native. And I was just wondering if, if you had any stories out here. And she looked at me and she said, stories about what? I said, well, I, it sounds silly. But soon I'm going to be making a podcast. And uh, I was hoping that maybe you had some stories to share with me about the area. And she took a second. She paused. She looked up at the ceiling and thought, you know, when people do that, when they're thinking, and then they look up at the ceiling. 
And then she looked down at the register and she went, hmm, have you ever been to Green River? I responded, no, I, no, I haven't. She looks at me and she goes, well, I'll tell you what. I've been to Green River a lot of times. She goes, let's say six times. All six times I've been there, something weird has happened. I said, really? She goes, absolutely. Absolutely. She said, one time when I was there, I was camping with my boyfriend and his son. He's Navajo, in case anyone was wondering or had that thought. And she says, we were camping out there, and about middle of the night, his son was sleeping, it was about two in the morning, and I was laying in the tent. My boyfriend was outside. And he calls for me. Come here, come here. So I come out of the tent, and I go over to him. And he's staring at the sky. And I walk over and I go, what happened? She says that he looked at her and said, well, what the heck is that? And they both looked up. And her words were, I saw this light. And it was going in all different directions. And then another light joined. It, they looked like stars, but they weren't. And then a third one joined. And they all started moving around each other. And boom. Shot across the night sky. And it moved insanely fast. She couldn't believe it. After her story, I looked at her and I said, wow, really? She goes, oh, you know, the interesting thing is, is if you stay out here long enough, you're, you're going to see weird things. It's not just the Green River. She goes, but... I believe that the Green River is something special. I'm going to try to start some sort of, um, some sort of, uh, email or something, maybe some sort of like forms dedicated for the podcast where people can turn in their stories that they want me to read on, on the show. I should probably look into that. That'd actually be really cool. But back to the story. All right, guess back to the show. Excuse me. I believed her. I really did. It makes sense. And I myself have my own experiences. Last year, when I was uh, when I was working my job, I worked the night shift. I worked from uh, ten forty-five to nine in the morning. And there was this one time I was sitting in my car. I was doing paperwork. I was a uh, I had the, the, the paperwork on a clipboard, and the clipboard was sitting on my right lap. And I kind of, my foot, I kind of had it on my tippy toes, so I can raise my knee and uh, thigh. So it's closer and more leveled to the way that I feel comfortable. I don't know if that makes sense. And I was doing paperwork. And at some point, I got done with one piece of paper, and I put it on the dash of the car. And on the corner of my eye... From where I was parked, you could see this mountain. And on the corner of my eye, I saw this uh, star. 
That's what my brain told me when I saw it on the corner of my eye the first few times. But that time, the main time, or the time when I was putting that paper on the dash, it looked slightly different to me than any other star that I've ever seen. So I decided to pay attention to it, and I stared at it. And I think I stared at it for about two seconds. And at insane speeds, it went from stationary, and it just shot straight down. No, I'm, I'm not good at guessing how fast an object is moving from that far away. I, I, I'm not good at judging speed unless it's like a car. And even then, I'm kind of off. But I can easily say it went from 0 to 100, over 100 miles an hour, at the drop of a dime. Like, I, I, I don't know any other way to say it. It was instantaneous. 0 to 100. Boom, boom. It shot across, or it shot straight down behind the mountains, and I couldn't see it anymore. It wasn't a shooting star, because a shooting star isn't stationary. And there was a good three seconds, five seconds, and I'm not talking about one, two, three, four, five. I'm talking one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, those kind of seconds. So I had plenty of enough time to stare at it and acknowledge it. And it tucked down right before I was turning my head away. I didn't do it. But right before I was getting into the action of moving my head. I I saw it shoot down. Bam, bam. Gone behind the mountain. And it blew me away. I I got out of my car. And I started telling uh, these friends of mine in this group chat that I was in. I told them about it and everything. and. They thought, oh my gosh, that's weird. And I don't know. Another thing that I'll share about myself personally, a good personal story. Before I became the supervisor at that job, once again, I can't say where I worked for legal reasons. I mean, I'm sure I can say the name, but I don't want to. Just because also that place was, uh, was kind of horrible. It's a horrible place. And I just... The most I can say was that it was a uh, a treatment center for youth, and I wasn't for me. Well, I I liked the job, but it wasn't. I didn't like what I saw that the kids had to go through. wasn't a fan of it. Honestly, that place should be investigated, but that's just my two cents. But at one point, I was the night supervisor for it. Before I became the supervisor, I was just this normal drone, you know. The cog in the machine, if you will. And my task was to sit in, was to sit in a room, stay awake, and every, uh, at, between every 5 and 20 minutes, at random, I would go check on the boys. And yes, this was an all-boys place. And I was in a special room, though, to where I didn't have to get up because they slept right in front of me. And this room, they all had 18-year-olds. They had this special rule that if you were 18 then you could choose to stay or go. And if you stay, then you're able to get a diploma through the place, like through the through the treatment center and everything. So a good few of them, not all of them, but a good few of them decided to stay. Unfortunately, there's been a few where they did get up and leave because they got mad at something and they wanted to run away from it. But I digress. When I was a drone, I sat there and 
I got a text from the supervisor at that time. I don't want to say his name. I never asked permission. So I'm going to think of a quick name. Uh, Kyle. His name's Kyle. For the sake of the story, his name is Kyle. And I get a text from Kyle. And he asked me if I can step outside and talk to him. I said, sure. At this point, Kyle was probably a, probably a, a week into the job. I've been there. I was there longer than him. He used to work there a year or two before I worked there, but he left and came back. And so he, uh, he applied for the super supervisor position and he got it. And he sent me this, this text. He wanted to speak to me. So I walked outside and sure enough, he was there with his car. He had a, uh, blue Honda Civic, not the ones from the nineties, the, um, uh, like 2008, 2010, around there. And he was sitting outside in the courtyard of the treatment center. Had to be three in the morning. And I got out. I walked out of that room that I was in and I saw him. And I said, hi. And he asked me a question about the job. Uh, I guess he forgot something and he wanted, you know, it was just something small. So I helped him and I want to say that we had good chemistry. I wasn't entirely sure. But we went back and forth. And we started talking about life and everything in between. And then, of course, we started talking about work and the sense of the youth and the job at hand. And how did this person do today and how did that person, you know, that kind of stuff. The, the whole rundown of the shift. And halfway through our conversation, we hear talking. And it wasn't like normal talking like this, like the way that I sound now. It was talking from a distance, but excitement. Like, you know, you know, when you go to uh, a basketball court, to the park or something, if there's an activity going on, if there's a child's birthday and they're under the pavilion, you hear the adults in the crowd. And some of them are at a higher octave like this. You know, and but they're at a distance and you can hear what they're saying, but not really. You know, you get every five words, that sort of thing. Am I making sense right now? Anyway, we heard that. And both him and I, both me and Kyle looked over and we stared in the direction that we heard the talking and we saw nothing. Because we had this open stretch. The courtyard was so big. And there was nobody there. And we thought, no. No, it was probably uh, probably someone walking along the street. Because we, cause we weren't that far from, from the main road. So we thought, no, it was somebody on the main road. Two people, probably hitchhikers talking or something. I don't know. We go back to speaking. We're having a good time. Probably about five minutes later. It was really not that long. It was about five minutes, I'd say. Five, seven minutes. And we hear running. And when I say running, I'm talking the soles of the shoes slamming on concrete. That pop, 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 pop. And it echoed. We, we, we even heard the echo. There was force. There was a leg causing the force of that shoe to hit the concrete. And we bolted. We thought perhaps it was it was uh, one of the kids that was trying to escape. So both him and I, we sprinted around that corner. The corner had to be 
Oh, to my memory, from where we were standing, probably about, um, I'd say like 170-something feet, 160, between 180 feet away. So we ran. We, we, we bolted it. We ran. And we cut that corner. And the corner that you cut that we heard the sprinting from, it's just this long um, stretch of, I don't want to say road, but it, it, it was a paved path that you can drive a car on. And there's nothing else. Like you can't, there's nothing really to duck behind. So as soon as we hit that corner, and we still heard the running at, at that point. We could still hear it. As soon as we cut that corner, the running stops. It comes to a complete stop. It's almost as if it stopped when we stopped. And then there was nothing. And then came silence. So Kyle and I just stared at each other. <laughs> and Kyle goes, did you hear that too? I said, uh, yeah, absolutely, man. I, I absolutely heard that. At that point, you could already see it on Kyle's face. <laughs> he had this look of, uh, oh, what have I done? What have I gotten myself into? And honestly, I mean, I hate to say it. I don't know if Kyle has any bad juju on him. But when he was working as a super, he didn't, he didn't work long as a supervisor. It was just a temporary spot so he can transition to a, uh, to a job that goes down his career path. So he was there for probably about a month, month and a half. Very short lived, unfortunately. He was a great guy and I, and I hope he's doing well, but when he was there for that month and a half, I don't know if he has any bad juju tied to his back or something. I, 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 I don't know. But I, the activity happened a lot when he was there. Like a lot. When I became supervisor, I would have to do these um, employee performance review. And it was once a month. Once a month, I would sit down with each of the employees, talk to them. We'd go back and forth. I would ask them, what do you expect of me? And then they would ask me, what do I expect of them? And Anyway, I had this one employee. Um, let's call him Chap. That's actually his nickname. I don't want to say his whole nickname. I don't want him to think I'm doing anything mean or anything. But, um... And I'm really not talking bad about the guy. He's a great guy. We 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 just don't talk anymore. We just fell out of touch. Anyway, Chap, I sent a text message to Chap. I said, hey, listen, uh, I need to do a, a performance review with you. Can you drive out to me to where the to where the cafe is? The property had a cafeteria, but they called it the cafe. It had a cafeteria on, on the property, and I had the keys to it, so I would open it and sitting there not all the time usually i'll take my car out and i'll drive back to where uh to where the animals were and i'll sit back there with them in the middle of the dark read stories look at the sky do paperwork things of that nature but i sent a message to chap i said hey listen uh come meet me at the at the cafeteria 
So he drove out to the cafeteria. We sat down and we started hashing it out on the performance review. And it went smooth. He was a great employee. The only issue that he had was I guess he would fall asleep from time to time, which is fine. I mean, we're human. But I sat there and we were chatting in the cafeteria. And we were just going back and forth, talking about, okay, so listen, so for this quarter, let's work on this and do that and do this. It's great. Keep an eye out for this boy, et cetera, et cetera. And I, we don't, for no, there was no sound. There was no indication for anything. But both him and I turned our heads and we both stared at this corner of the cafeteria. We turned and stared at it. Our eyes were lit, were just locked on, on this corner. And it wasn't awkward or anything. It was smooth. We turned, stared, and then we both turned our heads back to go back to the conversation. I think I got half a sentence out. I was like, okay, so for the, for, I think for the next month, and then, and, and then it hit me. And then I looked at him and I said, wait, 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 wait. Why did you look at that corner? And he went, I have no idea. Why did you look at it? And I went, I don't know. It was like something just told me to stare at that corner. And he, and he said, same. And he looked at me and he goes, listen, um, I'm not going to lie to you. The moment I walked in here, I, uh, I just feel weird. And I really don't want to continue this inside the cafeteria. I said, well, that's good news for you because we're basically done. Um, but thank you for sharing that with me. And I think that we should get out of here. I wrapped up the performance review and we left. He went his way. I went mine. And that night in particular, it really got me thinking about energies, things like that. And that's just those. What I said, two stories about my old job. Those are two stories about weird things that happened. And there's a list of weird things that have gone down at that job. And of course, um, you know, we're surrounded by these, by these kids, you know, they're kids. And I don't want to say the ages, but uh, they were teens, young teens to late teens. One time I got in trouble for talking about things like this to the boys one of the boys was excited about what happened the night before so he went and told his friends and i guess one of the employees there a lot of them have a have a stick up their butt and one of the employees there said i don't know who's the who's the night shift but apparently i was overhearing the conversation and one of the night shifts is telling creepy stories to the boys and <laughs> anyway I got a couple texts where it's like, stop doing that. It's bad for them. And I thought, why? I mean, come on. They're children. Let them live for once. You know, they're kids. This is their, this is their thing. This is their drive. You know, they're not, they're not prisoners. They're human beings who like this kind of stuff. And honestly, honestly, more than half of the times that I would share these stories, Half of the room would fall asleep. Wait a minute. Am I that bad? <laughs> Am I that bad at storytelling? Am I that boring that people fall asleep? 
God, I hope not. But anyway, I guess I'm saying all this uh, as a long thing. Because I learned very fast and very quick that the West is weird. It's unusual. It's uncanny. Chap, the one I was talking about earlier, he would call uh, this part of Utah Uncanny Valley. And um, I couldn't agree more with the man. I couldn't agree more. And uh, when I saw that book at the library, I instantly thought of all these experiences. It's a dangerous land. There was a story that happened in the 60s. Um, I don't remember the name, and I would hate to continue going on without giving acknowledgement to the name. But I don't know if I could find it fast enough for the podcast, so I'm going to go off my memory. But I was reading about this. And in the 1960s, there was a uh, group of Boy Scouts that went out to... uh, I actually think it was Green River. I'm not, I'm not even kidding. And they went out to Green River. They decided to uh, go kayaking or rafting down the Green River itself. And this flash flood hit. If you're not from here, if you're in the Narrows or down in rock territory, those flash floods, man, they're brutal. I've heard stories where you can die so fast from those things, especially if you're caught within a crevice. The force of the water that hits alone is oof, unimaginable, I guess. I'd, at least I, I don't want to imagine it. I don't like the idea of that, being crushed by water, being slammed against the rock and thrown around like a rag doll. Not my thing. But in this story, and this is a true story, But in this story, this flash flood hits. And the boat or the raft flips. One of the uh, scout leaders and one of the boys, he was 17. They got swallowed into the river. And they they were never seen again. They searched and searched for the bodies and they couldn't find a thing. It wasn't until... 2006. And I forgot how. Oh, mercy me. But somebody found a piece of the skull that belonged to the 17-year-old boy. The scoutmaster is still is still MIA. But they found the top of the skeleton of the boy and they closed the case. Died by accident, things of that nature. The land is rough out here. It's brutal. Just like that, you can be taken out and never seen again. Then, of course, there's the other stories. And if you heard the missing uh, episode, then you would hear, or then you would know, about the story of Ree Taylor Jepson. And if you don't, then you should probably go listen to, to that episode. There's a story that I, from this book I was reading. It talks about a place in Colorado called Dead Man's Canyon. The story of Dead Man's Canyon and apparently the legend of how it got its name 
was that there was a gentleman who lived out towards the area of what would be now, it would be Colorado Springs, Colorado. His name was William Henry Harkins, and apparently he was the first person, well, I'm sure I'm getting this wrong and the history buffs are going to correct me, which is fine, but apparently he was the first person to own a sawmill in that area. He was a sawyer. And one day, early in the morning, he is attacked and killed by two brothers. They go by the, by the name the Espinosa brothers. Apparently, according to the legend or the story itself, they were uh, religious fanatics. They were zealots. A part of them believed that for God, uh, the white man was atrocious, that they needed to die, which I guess by nowadays standards, you know, I, I, apparently that's a thing now. But they, uh, they hunted or they found Henry and they killed him. Um, some people, I guess, depending on who you talk to when it comes to the legend, it's because, uh, you know, he chops down trees, he processes trees, that sort of thing. And they didn't like the idea of this man taking down trees. They also believed that Colorado was uh, Mexican territory. So they didn't like the idea of this man who's trying to make a living by cutting down their trees and claiming their land. They didn't, that didn't sit well with him. So what did they do? They took one of his axes and they hit and they, uh, they wedged it in his forehead. And if that wasn't enough, I guess in his, uh, apparently as the story goes, in his state of shock and confusion, with, which is understandable, I mean, you have an axe in your head, they decided to shoot him. One brother shot him in the chest, the other one shot him in the chest. Then when he fell down, I think they both each took another shot. So he was shot four times. And then they killed his dog. And then they went to the back of his house. They went to the corral. And they took his horse and they killed his horse. And they left him there to rot. It wasn't for a few days after that they finally found the corpses and decided to bury them properly. The authorities did, of course. Ever since his death, the rumor is, is that if you go towards that area, you will be haunted by him. People apparently have seen a, uh, a gentleman with an axe in his head wandering around the forests of that area. There's a tale in which a woman hit him with her purse. And it actually stunned him. Listen to that. A woman hit him with her purse and stunned him. When he's supposed to be dead. Hope I don't get in trouble for this. I'm just going to read the example written by um, Matthew P. Mayo. It would be the second to last paragraph of chapter one. And it says, but on at least one occasion, he was attacked, he being Henry Harkins, by the way. He was attacked by someone who refused to give in to his long-standing bullying ways. The person happened to be the indigenous mother 
of a child he'd been frightening. The woman, in her haste to hustle herself and her offspring away from the angry ghost, she swung her purse at the axe-headed Harkins and managed to connect with the parting shot. She hit him. It connected. Now, I looked everywhere on the internet, and I, and I couldn't find that whole story. Um, which I don't, I, I, I honest, honestly, I don't know where Matthew P. Mayo got that information, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to believe it. I do because at first, and this is, this is no offense to Mr. Mayo. If anything, this is a compliment. At first I thought, well, where did he, where did he get these stories? So I went on the internet and I found these stories. These are real legends. These are real tales being told. So you know what? He must have done his research. So for the woman, for the story of the woman who connected the shot, I'm I'm gonna believe it. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put a thumbs up on that one. But she hit him. She successfully connected physically. She made contact with an entity. She hit him with her purse. That just makes me feel weird. How do you hit a ghost, a phantom, with your purse? Last time I checked, from what I'm told, ghosts ghosts don't make some sort of physical contact. But yet you hear these stories all the time. It seems like that's something that we're not able to accept or that we're able to see ground on. There you go. I'm sorry. Accept was a bad word. That's something that we're not able to see ground on, that we're not able to to uh, to acknowledge. No one can agree on it. Can you touch a ghost? Can you not? Now, some people might go, well, some you can, some can't. But it's interesting how there's a lot of stories in which there's there's a lot of contact. Right? I mean, am I wrong? You know, you and there's a lot of videos on the internet where things get thrown off like a coffee table. I knew this story of uh, somebody I knew. She was at a sleepover. She was she uh, was at a sleepover with a with a school friend. This was years ago, probably 2004. Now, for the sake of the story, let's call this friend. Um, Ivana. Ivana says that her and her friend were sitting on the bed, and on her friend's um, on her friend's wall is a is a cross. And Ivana said that she was sitting on the bed, and they were talking about something. I guess something for school. Something for whatever kids talk about, you know. And Ivana says that she. On the corner of her eye. Not on the far corner. But on the corner of her eye where you're focused on somebody and it's slightly to the right or left of them. So it's blurred out. But you can still see it. She says on the corner of her eye she saw the cross uh, lightly shake. It shook a little bit. And she didn't think anything of it. She thought, you know, there's an AC. Maybe, you know, it's on the wall on the on the hook of the wall just just light enough to where anything can make it shake 
I don't know if that makes sense, but sorry. And she said that they went back to the conversation and they were talking about whatever it is that they were talking about. And she saw it shake again. And she said it shook enough for her to finally look. As she was moving her eyes to look at the cross, the cross fell off the hook. And at this point, she's now having full view of the cross. The cross falls off the hook. It hits it hits the dresser that it was above. And as soon as it made contact with the dresser, you know, it made, you know, it made like a like a boom sound, you know, bah, like a bah. And as soon as it as soon as it hit the dresser, it hit the dresser and it made this str- a, a straight line. It made a straight line straight for Ivana's friend because her back was facing the cross. But from the boom itself, or from that, or from the bam, when it hit the dresser, her friend was already moving. So it, the cross missed both of them and hit the wall. The two girls scream. Catches the mother as, catches the mother's attention. What happened? The mother freaks out. Oh my goodness! So she makes Ivana and her friend sleep on the couch that night. No one was allowed in, in in her friend's room at all. And I don't know what happened after that. Ivana and her stopped talking and that was about it. They never they never had that conversation. They never talked about it. And it, and they didn't talk because they got mad at each other and it just life happened. I'm saying this because you hear in those stories where, you know, like I said, they you know, they shouldn't make contact, but yet they're throwing things. They're causing a ruckus. They can touch you. They can scratch you. There's been there is a phenomena where people get uh, scratches of three. Apparently, in the uh, the occult belief, is that the scratch of three is a mockery of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's it's a mockery of it. You believe in the three, we'll mark you with a three. I guess that's the message. I don't know where I stand on that, but it is a common phenomena. It's not just in movies. It's not It's not just in shows. I've known people who, who got it. They took pictures of it. They showed me the pictures. There's one girl I knew, great, great girl. She told me that she got scratched, that she had three scratches down down her back. Not directly in the middle of her back, but it was to, to the right side of her back. And they took a picture. Her and her friends took a picture. Her friends were there with me when they were talking about the story, days later. And to see their face, oh my goodness, no, dude, I'm telling you, they, she was scratched by something. And then they have the picture of it. What do you say to that? And and I know some people are going to go, now do you really believe them? Yes. Yes, I do. Because she's she she's not the kind to jest. She's not the kind to joke around about this. In fact, she she's very or at least was, she was a very big skeptic. 
She thought a lot of the stuff was, uh, was poppycock, as I say. She didn't have a firm belief. Now she does, from her experience. And I forgot where they went. It was somewhere in Florida. Somewhere that they weren't supposed to be. But how do you explain that? It was the wind. Three scratches down her back. And it was the wind. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. But there's always these stories. There's always more to this life. Back at the topic, when it comes to the West, look at the... For the, for the Californians out there, look at the Winchester Mystery House. It's not really a house, it's a... That's a mansion right there. That is a that is a home. That's not a house. That's a home. You know? Apparently, uh, and I'm not going to go into full detail, mainly because I don't really know a lot about it. And I actually want to save that as a uh, as a topic on its on itself. But it's 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 a beautiful mansion. I mean, if you look at it from the outside, it's gorgeous. Uh, I believe the style is Victorian. I could be wrong. Victorian. And it is the wife of the gentleman who made the Winchester Repeater. For its time, if I'm not mistaken, the Winchester Repeater was revolutionary. It was a weapon that you could fire, and with the simple action of using a lever, it will load another bullet into the chamber, while pulling the hammer back at the same time, readying the shot. She was the wife of the gentleman who made that. And this is back during, you know, the cowboy era, the West. Probably, what, 1880-something? Maybe? Like, maybe more? I'm not entirely sure. So forgive me for my lack of information, but you, but you can look it up. The point is, is that he passed away later on. I, I, uh, I think tuberculosis. He got sick. It was something like that. He got sick and he and he passed on. So she was the widow, and she, I think, because of his death, she went to a psychic. She went somewhere, I guess, to make contact with her late husband. And the psychic told her, uh, I guess during the seance or whatever it is that was happening, said, listen, um, the people who have been killed by your husband's creation, they're coming after you. So, we're going to have to, uh, your, your best bet is to have to deal with that. So she thought, well, perhaps if I make all these crazy things Within my house, it'll be hard for them to come find me. So she created stairs that'll lead to nowhere. Uh, hidden hallways or hallways that'll just uh, end up being weird. They don't really lead anywhere. Doors that if you opened it, you could fall to your death. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, that's what she created. She was scared. She was smitten by something that 
I don't think that that she wanted to experience. I don't think that she wanted to come across anything. I mean, that that, that has to be the point, right? Because if you get told by some sort of psychic, most people's reaction, I'd like to think, is, eh, whatever. But for her, it wasn't that. It wasn't, eh, okay, eh. It was, you're absolutely right. There is a level of fear. She was scared. And she sunk in millions of dollars. There's no way that you're going to do that. And if you don't believe in it. Or if you don't have any emotion towards it. She believed. She understood. And that's, and that's scary to me. Maybe that's one of the biggest reasons why I believe in ghosts. I mean, just be, besides my mother. But the reactions of the people around us. Sometimes it's almost too much. Here's a story about something that is, uh, that's too much. Something that really caught my attention. Apparently uh, in Nevada, there's something called the Hell Hounds or the Hell Dogs of Nevada. Another name for them is the Hell Dogs of El Dorado Canyon. Now, the website I am on is called Legends of America. I couldn't, I, 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 I don't know who wrote the article or who wrote the story on, on the website. But I'm going to, um, the, the only name I was able to find was one Kathy Weiser. So, uh, this is not my, I did not write this. The only name I could find is Kathy Weiser, so I assume she did. But this is the story. Uh, once again, this is on legendsofamerica.com forward slash hell dogs of El Dorado Canyon forward slash. And it goes as, as read. Man per man and mile per mile. El Dorado Canyon has a wider range of historical events than anywhere in the Wild West. This rich history, coupled with the turbulent events taking place in El Dorado Canyon in the 19th century, has led to numerous ghost stories of dead miners, Indians, and pioneers who once roamed the area. However, some of the most fascinating are the ghost tales of canine spirits. Reportedly, during the rowdy mining days, many of the prospectors kept dogs at their claim sites to protect their property, reared to attack at the slightest trespass by strangers. The dogs were often extremely vicious. Man's best friend or not, many of these dogs were shot, left chained at the claim site to die, or they were re released into the wild when the gold paid out and the miners left the area. Over the years, Numerous tales of sightings of these many spectral hounds have been told by exploring the visitors and locals alike. A few even tell of being attacked by these ferocious canine apparitions. One story, told on the Shadowlands website, describes two brothers who were compelled to test the validity of the canine tales, exploring the area 
they soon found an old mine shaft where they noticed an ancient weather chain embedded into the rock near the entrance. Entering the old mine, they came upon a pile of bones that appeared to be those of a large dog. As the sun was quickly setting, they determined to camp near the mine shaft, sitting around a small campfire. They listened to what sounded like coyotes yipping in the distance. Not alarmed, they ate supper. They sat around the fire until both men began to feel uneasy as the atmosphere changed. Seeming thick and somehow charged, before long they heard the sounds of large dogs panting in close proximity, followed by low and hateful growls. With hair no doubt standing up on the back of their necks, they then heard the sounds of paws circling the campsite and scratching noises coming from the shaft where the chain was laying. Stealing a glimpse at the shaft, the chain began to move, seemingly being tugged away from the rock wall by an unknown force. As the pulling continued harder each time, the brothers fumbled to their gear and stumbled to their feet. One of them pointed the flashlight toward the chain where scratch marks and bloodstains could be seen on the rock. Suddenly, the chain dropped, and one of the brothers felt something brush up against his leg before both were frantically running towards their car. As they drove as fast as they could out of the canyon, they could hear wild panting and canine footsteps. The pack of visible wild strays kept pace with them for several miles. Locals refer to these spectral hounds as the hell dogs of El Dorado Canyon. Apparently, this is, a, uh, this is a site that many people have seen. This is something that many people have come across. I guess with the exception of the dogs, if you're, if you're a spirit, if you're a ghost, why can't you just move on? What is it that keeps you here? Is it anger? Is it, is, is it your emotions? Which I understand. Like, I get it. Why should your life be cut short while the others live? Like in the case of William Henry Harkins. That's not fair to him. He had something good going for him. And two horrible people fueled by religion and some weird belief. They deemed him as someone who needed to die. Especially in such a violent way. And then they killed his companion. They shot his dog. And they shot his mare. That's not fair. So I understand the anger. I understand the rage. I really do. And there is no judgment here. It's understanding. But at the same time, I guess I find it weird at the idea that, that you can't just leave. Why don't you want to leave? I almost feel like if I was to die in such a violent way and I can't get my revenge, then I'll just leave. What's the point? It sounds silly, but sometimes when I take a long drive through the desert, I feel like there's lost souls walking through there. How many of them have I drove past? How many of them tried to hitchhike with me? And I just couldn't see them. They existed on the other side of that veil. Something that my eyes have no ability of seeing past. There's a place in Nevada called Bonnie Springs. You, you can look this up. If I'm not mistaken, uh, I think during the 70s, the 80s, I'm not entirely sure. A woman purchased uh, a a piece of property. It was a few acres of land. So she thought, well, I could take this this property and 
make something of it, maybe make some sort of attraction. So she turned it into a western town of her own design. It wasn't a real town. It wasn't, hasn't been there for a hundred years or anything like that. But it was a town that she made as a replica of something that she's seen in movies or, you know, she pulled the inspiration from it. Well, the things that she has there, she has authentic cash registers that would have been from that time. She didn't make that herself. She, she bought it. And she started to collect all these objects. And she put it there. You know, she had them working within the theme that she was going for, which is Western, cowboy, saloon. Now, Bonnie Springs is equipped with a saloon, an opera house, a schoolhouse, and something else that I'm forgetting. I think, oh, I think it was a wax museum, but it's no longer there. Believe it or not, as I'm sure that you can guess a mile away, apparently it's haunted. Apparently it is a, it's a hot spot for paranormal activity. Now, the conversation within the, uh, within the world of the occult, within people who fancy the paranormal, is it's not so much the location, but the items that, well, the location is haunted, but it wasn't always like that. It is believed that the items that she purchased, some entity has attached itself to it, and she brought it to her town. There is a story um, of one of the employees he was coming out of out of the saloon. Apparently, the saloon, it's one of those ones where it's like a two-story type thing. You have the first floor and then the second floor. Or for my Europeans out there, you have the ground floor and then you have the first floor. Apparently, he said that he was leaving the first floor, going down to the ground floor. He took the back door. Like, he left throughout the back door. There's a set of stairs that go down to the ground and... He tripped. He said he himself, he made, a, he made an error, and he was beginning to fall down the stairs. And in his, you know, he's wailing his arms around and trying to maintain a balance. He turns his body around, and he tries to grab something. He finally gets a grip on the railing, catches his breath. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I almost fell. almost hurt myself. Apparently, as he's catching his breath, these two women who saw everything run up to him. Oh, my goodness, sir, are you okay? You know, blah, blah, blah. He goes, yeah, I know. I tripped and, uh, you know, I almost fell, you know. And the girls go, uh, well, you would have fallen if it wasn't for something that caught your, caught your vest. He was dressed up as a cowboy. And he goes, excuse me? He said, yeah, no, something literally grabbed your vest. It was being pulled. You could see it. Something had a grip on it. As you were almost about to fall back, it stopped you. It wouldn't let you go. There's a ghost, another ghost within uh, the Bonnie Springs town that apparently he is a, uh, whoa, I'm going to, I'm probably going to cut the audio there for a second. I, um, as I was talking, I, I, I swore I heard like movement behind me. And when I looked over and I looked around, I'm, I'm in a dark room. The only thing that is lit is a black light. And so from the movement I heard, I turned around and I looked into the dark and I couldn't see anything. I thought it was my cat or something. And uh, wow, no. And then in the silence, I, I, I heard some sort of child's toy. I don't know. I, I heard someone's voice for a split second, but it, I don't know. 
probably some sort of paranoia I'm experiencing. I'm not entirely sure. Well, that that just got my blood pumping. Wow, that scared the dickens out of me. I'm sorry about that. Um, <laughs> wow. So, as I was saying, man, wow, that really scared me. That that actually got me really good. And um, and I'm not gonna edit this out. I'm I'm gonna leave it in. I'm probably gonna edit out the long pause because it was a long pause that I took staring. So I'm probably going to chop it a good good deal. But man, that really got me. And it makes sense too. It's four in the morning as as I'm recording this. So, oh, I just heard something again. Okay, that's weird. Um, as I was saying, there is apparently a entity that's uh, in Bonnie Springs. I, I believe they coined him as the the ghostly gunfighter. I'm not quite sure how I heard this. I think I saw it on some sort of travel channel thing. I'm not entirely sure. Or did I read it somewhere? I don't know. But apparently there is an entity that people have come across, a apparition of a gentleman wearing clothes appropriate to the time, to the Wild West. And he's wearing black. He has long hair. They say he looks really scruffy, really mean, you know, like a, like a, like a man's man, you know. He walks around. I don't. I don't want to say paranoia, but you know, he's he's on edge, and he walks around town. And apparently, he will size you up, and he will actually he will actually reach for his pistol. The rumor, or the as the stories go, as soon as he grabs his pistol and draws it on you, he vanishes, or he'll ask you for a duel, or he. There's a there was a story. I, I think I read this one on a form. I'm not entirely sure. So they do tours, you know, uh, the employees at the Bonnie Springs, they do these tours and they will walk you around the grounds, et cetera, et cetera. Someone wrote on the form, if I'm not mistaken, they they saw the gunfighter. They thought he was employed for the attraction and they saw him crouching behind a barrel and he was actually shooting. You could hear the pops of the gun, like the gun itself would fire, but nothing would come out of it. So they thought, oh, he's firing blanks. This is a part of the show. The weird thing is, is not everybody in the crowd saw or heard the shots. It only seemed like four or five people out of the crowd of, let's say, 15 heard and heard the shots and saw the smoke and saw him. And the employee didn't see anything and just went about the informational piece when it comes to the tour. How do you explain that? And I guess my whole question is, when it comes to these ghosts, sometimes I tell myself, are they wandering? I guess I'm telling myself that maybe they just they just walk around. And if they find something that they consider to them to be comfort, do they stick to it? Like, if I was a spirit walking around aimlessly around the desert, and I was to come across a place like Bonnie Springs, where that fit my my era, I'd stay there. Like, to me, that makes sense. I would stay there. I'd go, well, well, hey, don't mind if I do. And apparently that has been the case with Bonnie Springs. Apparently there's a, uh, there's a, you know, I said earlier that they, that, uh, that, that the property has a schoolhouse. So within the schoolhouse, you can see the apparition of a, of a woman. She wasn't, she wasn't old at all. She was, she was younger, late 20s. 
probably early 30s at least that's what people say and she oh my dude i oh. i almost knocked out i almost punched my cat in the mouth holy crap dude sawyer you can't do that <laughs> As I'm talking, he uh, he reached out very tenderly and rubbed his paws on my lap. And they were soft enough to where I thought it was an actual hand rubbing my lap. And I was about to swing. He's staring up at me right now. Wow, that scared the bejesus out of me. As I was saying... The apparition, it is said that she is seen in the schoolhouse, and she is also seen on the side of the interstate road that Bonnie Springs is connected to. The road to Bonnie Springs is on an interstate highway, and there have been cases where people have gone and reported to the employees of the Bonnie Springs town, the attraction, I'm not sure what you want to call it, that, oh yeah, you know, there's that girl that is out there off off the highway. You could see her standing in the grass. And they respond, well, well I'm sorry, but we don't have any employed, anybody employed like that. Well, there's that girl. No, I'm sorry. And there's been a, a good few people who've reported seeing her in the same outfit. She has this, uh, apparently she has a white shirt and like, uh, and like a blue dress on. Or, I'm sorry, I guess like a like a long skirt. And the employees say, well, I'm sorry, you know, she doesn't work there. We've, we've never seen her before. And this is the same entity, as I said earlier, that she can be seen in, in, in the schoolhouse. Apparently as well, um, you can hear children in the schoolhouse talking or playing. You know, there's a conversation with children. And these things, they, they, they're talked about. They're seen. They're experienced. This isn't something that's light, you know. This isn't something that, in my opinion, can be debated that much. I I, I know some people. It's hysteria. It's this. It's your imagination. It's a heat wave. It's a mirage. But I don't know. You know, there's 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 way too many. There's way too many coincidences for something that. That I just don't think can be argued. You know, it's one thing if you only had one person go, "Hey, yeah, I know, I saw this hippie chick." Standing on the on the side of the road. Okay, whatever. But that's not the case at all. The case is, is they see a healthy young woman wearing a white shirt and a blue skirt. Just But she's just standing there. She looks out of place standing there. And this isn't just one person. It's multiple people who have gone and reported it. Oh, hey, I, you know, I love the authenticity of the prairie girl standing out there. We... There's no one there. In Utah, there is a place here called Moon Lake. Okay. Moon Lake is apparently to, uh, said to be extremely haunted. There is a there's a story common with a lot of people. There's a lot of people who have said that they've experienced this. And by a lot of people, I mean most people who frequent Moon Lake. 
the common uh, the common encounter is whether you're fishing, setting up a tent, anything, something that you're focused on. It's almost as if the moment that your guard is low, the encounter happens, and that is a girl, a young girl. Some people say she's around seven years old. Others say she's a little older than that, to 12 maybe. But people say that she is really young. And this girl will run up to you, and she will ask you for help. She'll say, please help me, I'm cold. And they say her appearance is she looks soaked. And her lips are blue because you know because she's freezing. Seems like she fell into the lake. Apparently, the moment you go, yeah, oh my goodness, yeah, so of course I would love to help you. As soon as you offer her aid, she vanishes right in front of you. This is something that multiple people have said. Now I'm sure, knowing my luck, someone here, I'm gonna somehow come across somebody from Utah, and then now they're gonna tell me, oh, I've been here all the time and nothing happens. But this is a common thing. This is something that, that that happens. There's many forms about it. There's many conversations about it. Moon like this, moon like that. But it's always that same story with that young girl who asks for aid and she never gets it. What a horrible existence that is. Constantly in the state of freezing, looking for help. And you're doomed to never obtain it. That itself is more frightening than probably her being a ghost. That existence is frightening to me. They also say if you're at Moon Lake and you're camping out at night uh, every once in a while, you might, I guess, depending on who you are, if you're lucky, you can hear a high-pitched scream going through the forests at night. Moon, Moon Lake is located in the high Uintas. And apparently it's breathtakingly gorgeous. I guess as this podcast is coming to a close, I wanted to uh, I wanted to address something. And maybe I guess this is something that's nice. Um, and I guess that's the future of where I want to take the podcast. One of my things, I guess one of my goals for now is I actually want to, what am I trying to say? I guess I want to make the podcast mobile. I would love to go to different places and record an episode in these weird and unusual places. So example, Moon Lake. I would love to record a show there in my tent or something and anything that happens, hopefully I can pick it up to the microphone or something or because there's been a few uh a few shows that I've heard, a few podcasts that I've heard where the person goes, "Yeah, so we spent the night um, I don't know, at at a house that is apparently haunted by a demon. So I want to tell you what happened. And then they tell from their memory what happened. When it's like, no, I don't want to know that. You know, I want to know how you sound in the moment. But how cool it would that be to record an episode in these spots? Oh, that'd be so amazing. That'd be so freaking cool to just do that oh that'll be to me that'll be just a treat so hopefully in the future depending on where the podcast takes me uh depending on where i take myself i would love to to do that as some sort of outlet 
some sort of uh, cool thing where I can sit there and go, listen, I decided to to go to Moon Lake. I recorded an, an episode there. I hope you guys enjoy. And then I play it and I'm reading scary stories or I'm sharing stories or, you know, and I'm not going to be stupid. I'm not going to go alone or anything. But, you know, I, uh, I think, I think that'll up the ante in my opinion, you know, so, but yeah, um, I should, I should, uh, I think it's unfortunately, and I didn't notice how much time has gone by, but it would appear that the sun is setting on this episode. And I just want to point this out. Today I'm just really relaxed. I'm just I'm just at zen as of right now. So sorry if I don't sound like I have a pep in my step or anything. Um I'm not bummed out or anything. I'm you know, I'm just really relaxed. And for the past 3 episodes, uh I usually wait till, you know, I I have this zip, this boom bam boom in my voice. And I started thinking about when I put out the introduction that 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 first trailer for the podcast where I talked about where I gave a as I put it a brief rundown of how the show's going to go or what to expect a brief understanding and I and I thought about that and one of the things I said was I wanted it to be organic and I thought what better way like What's wrong with showing my my calm side? You know, what's wrong with having an episode where it's organic, it's natural, I'm calm, I'm peaceful, I'm having just a nice conversation with you, the listener. So uh, I I'm just saying this because I don't want anybody to think that I'm bummed out or, oh, you know, he doesn't have the spark. See, you know, he's not going to maintain the podcast or no. And it's not that at all. In fact, now that I started, I don't think that I can stop at all. So, I don't know. I'm just I'm just really relaxed. And I guess with that mixture, the other thing is this subject is very tender to me. For some weird reason, I didn't think I'd be so soft towards it. There's a, there's a certain beauty out here. Out here in the West. God, is it... It's gorgeous. And I guess I just have an appreciation for it. I think the thing is, is that the ghosts of cowboys and Indians are out here. Those hearts beating and breaking all at once. The spirit of the West. The only woman that stole their heart. And no matter how hard they try, they can never let her go. She's as beautiful as she is dangerous. She's as selfish as she is addicting. If you look hard enough, you can see them dancing around a fire. And they're dancing around the embers. The stars glow and twinkle. The wildlife stare in awe of their show, as do I. The music to their song is the beating of the hearts that she has in her inventory, and the only audience are the ones that are lucky enough to see it. <laughs> 
The most beautiful thing is that they don't care. They're happy. They've been blessed. They're exactly where they want to be. And that's being in her presence. There's a song by Bob Dylan. It's one of my favorites. I'd actually like to quote uh, one of the verses. I'm going to read it. I hope I don't get in trouble. I don't see why. It's not my song. But I think that it's really fitting. The verse is, There's beauty in the silver singing river. There's beauty in that rainbow in the sky. But none of these and nothing else can touch the beauty that I remember in my true love's eyes. Yes, and only if my own true love was waiting, that I could hear her heart softly pounding. Yes, and only if she was lying by me, then I'd lie in my bed once again. Thank you for tuning in this week. I really appreciate it. I do. Thank you for sitting down. Whether you believe anything that I say or not, that's fine. But it means a lot for you to listen in. For you. For allowing myself to share a piece of me with you. Every time I do a show, I'm sharing a piece of myself. And I don't like doing that. Please take care of yourselves out there. Until next week. Until next time. This has been another episode of Conversations at Midnight. Thank you, and have a great one.